follow us on patreon.com forward slash strange bedfellows. You will have to enter that in because the fact that we are adult content means that we have agreed to make ourselves unsearchable on their website. My name is Elle and I'm a sex educator. My name is Jen and I'm a private investigator. We want to learn more about ourselves. I'm like the boring vanilla one over here that's like, I don't do anything, but I'm, cu- I'm curious. And the fact that we're both sex workers means that we have insight into things taboo. Trigger warning, if you're easily upset by this stuff, maybe take a break. I have a feeling this is going to be weird. Sex and politics make for some very strange bedfellows. Cussing's okay, yeah? We're not regulated by FCC? No, yeah, everything. We can do everything. Good, because I can censor myself if I have to, but I really don't like it. No, please don't ever censor yourself on the show. Fantastic. (laughs) We say say all the nasty words. It's okay. Yes. Um, You should hear the stuff that we have to cut, actually. (laughs) Well, I've heard heard the stuff that makes the edit, so... Oh, uh, yeah, I don't want to get sued. Um, so how do we know each other um, from Slutwalk or Facebook? Yeah. Yeah. Or mutual friends. Okay. And then so you, so I asked you to come on here after you told me that you had been a behavior rehabilitation counselor at a residential facility for teenage boys mm-hmm. who had suffered severe childhood trauma. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so you said you were the last stop in hands-off facilities before going into a hands-on facility so that you guys actually saw some of the worst cases. So you guys were hands-off, but like most severe cases before they... What is a hands-on facility? What would that be like? Um, Well, actually, funny you should ask that. Uh, Since we last talked, I am actually now working at the hands-on facility. Um, A hands-on facility is something where they use restraint holds, usually in a therapeutic capacity, to um, help somebody calm down that is really struggling with coping with a difficult situation at the time and has reached a point where they are at risk of harming themselves or somebody else. Mm -hmm. And so it's just a way of putting them into a position that's safe for them and for everybody else in a manner that is non-harmful so they can breathe. And we do counted breathing exercises with them. We check in with them. And once they're ready, we escort them into an isolation room so they can decompress. And then we come in and process with them after that. How did you get to working in this facility? Uh, a few different capacities. Um, I've always been fascinated with communication and the art of language and how we interact with each other and the dynamics that come along with that. So I studied that in college. Um, And I've always really been a bit of an altruistic person. So I volunteered a lot of time as a teacher's assistant. Um, I have a cousin who is uh, Asperger's. And so I've always been fascinated with the autism spectrum. And um, how severe, may I ask? His is, um, it's difficult. He has an additional diagnosis of schizophrenia that does have additional factors that come to the table with it. Um, I think the Asperger's was a little bit more obvious when he was younger. He was a little bit less social and non-communicative. He could communicate, but, um, it was very rare, uh, verbally anyways. Um, and but, so many kids, I just want to point out that so yeah. many kids on the spectrum, I mean, they're all different and unique too. Mm-hmm. So hi, Jen. Hi. I see you over there. <laughs> I'm just, li- I'm listening. I'm getting a feel. No, no, get in here. So I'm surprised, Jen, would you ever interact with someone like Vanessa if you were taking testimony? Or if you were investigating, I mean, how have you uh, have you yet in your stint 
My experience so far has been that it's actually very... So I would probably come into contact with maybe someone like Vanessa if I was doing background Mm -hmm. on a witness. It's very, very, very hard for me to get interview. I mean, there's privacy laws, HIPAA. It's very, very, very hard as a defense investigator for me to get access to any kind of mental health information. I mean, that has to be a that's like a court ordered Mm, subpoena. And then and then I think the attorney usually deals with that. I've personally in this state never encountered a situation where I was allowed to go after that. Okay. information yeah. I tried <laughs> but a lot of times we can't even acknowledge if a client is um a resident with us because of the privacy issues and we you know we have to protect their privacy because they're in treatment you know when it boils right. down to it it is all just doctor patient confidentiality mm-hmm. well, so, however however though that is something that comes up a lot though is that I mean I'm not sure how people get sent to the facility that you work in but yeah I will that was say my that, question how do they end up there but um, we can get to that after. yeah we can Go get ahead, to that Jen. yeah Multnomah County is pretty good about um community court and like special courts and like divert mm-hmm. like diversionary stuff um in what way well so for example say a lot of people end up in the system because they are homeless or have emotional problems and drug abuse problems and if the crime is at a low enough level and you're a good candidate for diversionary treatment like going to a drug court a Mm -hmm. drug treatment facility or getting court mandated like mental health services then that's something that well those um that's something that that attorneys usually look for as as an option as as their client eligible for this what and then sometimes it's like what evidence can i gather from Mm. a mitigation standpoint that somebody is mentally not doing so well and might not understand what they've done so you said that the processes they have here in this county in this county are pretty good for diversion well they have that well they have this processes available all over the state of oregon i just my experience is that multnomah county seems to push that the most and seems to be the most open to those kinds of remedies Mm -hmm. as opposed to strictly punitive Mm-hmm. remedies I, I think Multnomah is trying real hard and yeah that's, yeah that's I, I will say a lot of that does come along with budgeting uh, Multnomah County does have a larger budget than the suburban counties Clackamas County has a very very tiny budget um, that is why often if there's like a major emergency you'll wind up waiting for two three hours because right. you're you know you're if you have a minor emergency going on it's it's nothing compared to what they're dealing with but that being said Um, I did want to, something you said really, um, made me think of something that I wanted to bring up is that I will say working with juveniles and having worked with adults with mental health issues and, um, you know, being a bouncer downtown. So working, uh, interacting a lot with people who are homeless and people with mental health issues, um, and mental health crises on a regular basis, um, I will say this, that there's a lot more support of rehabilitative treatment and a lot more of a focus on mental health support and mental health treatment for juveniles than there are for adults. Um, I don't know if that's because there's a larger budget because they're in a system that is already being paid for um, and it's an easy avenue to get them state assistance and a lot of things um, or what it is, but I do know that um, right now we're at a housing crisis within 
DHS. There's thousands and thousands of kids who are staying in hotels right now because there aren't placements for them that we are just so full in our treatment facilities. Yeah, that was a scandal a couple of years ago and I wasn't yeah. sure how to take it. And I, cause I know people, you know, obviously this was not even thinking this was before I could even think of you working there who work at DHS and mm -hmm. you hear the scandal about how um, DHS was housing all these kids in like filthy hotels. And it's like, well, where are they coming to your house? They're not coming to mine. Like, where are they going? Yeah. And, um, and they have upgraded where they're staying since then. Um, there has been a lot of focus within the DHS and improving a lot of their processes, even, uh, you know, I'll even t tell you down to payment for people who work in the field that I do in the capacity that I do. Um, three years ago, I was working in the same field, doing the same thing at the hands-off facility, and I was making $4 an hour less than I am now. Wow. Okay. And it's because DHS is supposed to be reevaluating how much they're reimbursing these organizations every year, and there was nobody doing it. And finally, the organization I work for now sued DHS and got it fixed, if you will. Mm. Um, but even now, it's, you know, I'm making... Just under $30,000 a year. Oh, my God. And you deal with so much. Holy yeah. Shit. Yeah. I mean, I made more money as a bouncer. And even then, that was a pittance. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I made double working 20 hours a week as a door girl at a strip club. So. Wow. Yeah. Hey, and that's that's why people, when the, when the times get hard, you know, there's no business like hoe business, even if you're not directly. <laughs> yeah, I, I will tell you, I've yet to meet a single person in social services that does not have a backup plan job. Yeah. That yeah. all of us know where we would go if the pay doesn't quite cut it or if budgets get cut. You know, we all know where to go. Yeah. Ugh. I want to circle back to um, talking about how this county is better with rehabilitative mm -hmm. uh, and diversion instead of just punitive measures. Because I think we all know that the places that tend to lean most heavily on punitive measures tend to be socially conservative areas. Um. And I, I think it's been shown like, you know, for, for a while now, at least in the last few decades, that the prison system in this country is not working because we rely on punitive measures. And you can't just stick somebody in a giant, you know, series of cages with hundreds or thousands of other people who have their issues and their problems and then expect them to come out and know how to function perfectly fine. And then that's where the word recidivism comes from because people keep falling into the cycle of crime as, mm -hmm. you know, as the criminal justice system calls it. But it's really like a cycle of poverty. Mm -hmm. Ugh. Yucky. Well, I find it particularly interesting that it that high, uh, high punitive rates are associated high incarceration rates, right? Is that it's that it keep a keeps the community safer, mm -hmm. right? By keeping the criminals off the streets, and that it's more cost. There's often, you know, there's the conservative interest in saving money, right, mm -hmm. and being fiscally responsible. But actually, there's been lots and lots of research that says the opposite, and that drug court that if you tabulate uh, transaction points in the system, mm -hmm. and okay. <laughs> no, no, no. Explain. I want okay. to know. Mm -hmm. So there was a study that they did in Washington state. So what they did in this study is they had a group of offenders that they followed through the system. Mm -hmm. And as they went through the system, they this very detailed uh, recorded every single transaction point this offender had 
how like how long they stayed in jail how long you spoke to the court clerk and they Mm -hmm. were able to say how much you know how much this cost how the cost of paper used and then they uh, somehow you know Mm, they they were tracking the costs they were tracking the costs very 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 specifically right and it showed that in the long run drug courts save a lot more money to the community and to Mm -hmm. taxpayers than Mm -hmm. just locking people Mm -hmm. up Mm -hmm. so any argument that says that that's a waste of money and that it's more that it mm-hmm. more cost effective yeah. to put people in jail is wrong unless right. however we're talking about slave labor which what? prisons provide then you know it's a money it's a whole different ball game <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> profiteering right, right. well and and i will i wanted to clarify my commentary about um budget being a big factor in it it's i don't think it has to do with the cost that's involved with treatment versus punitive um i think it just has to boil i think it boils down to a lot of what they're running into like i said in clackamas county it's just prioritizing and so a lot of what you see coming across the desk is going to be winding up in a punitive because it's the focus is in that, that, you know, things that can be treated, well, that can be dealt with by whoever's reporting it. They can get them into treatment right. and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. That I, And the philosophy is just different. I mean, some people believe that their role of the criminal justice system is to punish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I actually don't believe that that's the role is to keep the community safe and to mm-hmm. provide and be cost effect it's it's a number of things not just to punish people yeah. that have been bad because mm-hmm. how is that good for society you punished them mm-hmm. but they're in jail they're not paying restitution they're not learning how to not be offenders right but, well that's you know. the the difference was the um community style policing approach which was um apparently the approach used uh, by a uh, claim to use by San Diego police department for the last decade or so, at least, and also Portland where it's supposed to be more about addressing the safety of the community instead of, um, yeah, putting people in jail or the militaristic style of policing. Um, it all sucks. <laughs> I mean, I guess I'm just really uncomfortable with the idea of the government punishing citizens. I'm looking nope. at this really good article from Jessica Valenti. This is the one. Jen, you found this one. The recent mass shootings in the U.S. all have one thing in common, misogyny. Jessica Valenti, so she's a mother as well, and I remember at some point she became very inactive online uh, with her social media uh, because she'd received so many death threats, and I think threats against mm-hmm. her daughter. Mm. Yeah. I remember hearing about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this was back... Huh. When was the Santa Fe High School massacre? I mean, there's been that so many like shootings. It was like a couple, was it a couple weeks May. ago or yeah. maybe a month ago? Yeah. Honestly, that's trying to ask me to name like the 18th <laughs> through 23rd president in order. I couldn't tell you. It's <laughs> right, hard. because there are so many. Yeah, yeah. Now, I mean, it's, it's hard to keep them straight. It's right. a funny anecdote, but in all reality, it's it's begotten a really tragic situation. Well, in, in this one, uh, I guess in this one, there was a one of the little girls that was shot. Uh, the mother came forward and said that the shooter had been pestering and harassing mm-hmm. her daughter for weeks. For weeks, even after she said that she wasn't interesting, interested right, in right. him. And mm-hmm. yeah, it says she so, called him out in class. "Quote embarrassed him in class," which I mean, I do that shit to people all the time. Yeah, you know, why are you looking at me like that, sir? Loudly in the coffee shop. 
But does this mean he's going to be like, fuck you, lady, I'm going to come back to the coffee, you know, and like shoot me while I'm working? Maybe because that's the world we live in now. I mean, (laughs) I think twice about how I tell people to get away from me for that. For that reason, I I usually don't say get away from me. I just usually just try to giggle and like, Mm. you know, I I, try to get away. Yeah, I think it's about what you're comfortable with. And, you know, read the situation. There are going to be some people that you should be straightforward with and others that you should take a little bit more of a passive approach mm-hmm. um, just for safety reasons. Mm-hmm. But I mean, in all reality, assuming that you know how somebody's going to react just requires the assumption that you're going to be psychic, which is just mm-hmm. absurd. Mm-hmm. Um, and you often don't have that many clues in a short amount of time about how someone's going to react. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's, and that's the thing is like, you know, one of the things with a, a lot of the backlash that the mother and her daughter received was, uh, people jumping on the bandwagon of, you know, stop blaming women again. And I think that people, there's a time and a place for that argument. And I think that that was an ill-placed argument with this situation. What was the argument? Um, just people basically saying that yet another way of people finding another, a, a, a way of blaming the woman in the situation oh. for a situation mm-hmm. because they're saying, Oh, she pushed back on him and he'd been harassing so her and, it, and, and therefore he, he flipped out. And I think what oh, a lot of people are missing in the message that's being sent by that is that anything can trigger somebody you don't know. Right. And, and it's not your fault that somebody got triggered by something you did unless you were careless in your thought and action. But at the same time, it is important to acknowledge the precipitating factors so that we can start yeah. to narrow down and identify what some of these real root causes are so we can mm-hmm. start addressing them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's horrific that even like asserting your boundaries in a reasonable way yeah. can trigger somebody into mm-hmm. but committing when, an when act somebody violence, has mental you know? illness or, you know, yeah. other triggers are going on. I mean, nobody, nobody knows what's going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back. Yeah. yeah. You know, you talk about, you want to go to that with interviews that Anthony Bourdain did, you know, right. he talked about that it could be something as simple as a bad burger sends him into a downward spiral for days. <sighs> and a lot of people hear that and they're like, Oh, okay, well he's bumbling along just fine. And he has a bad burger and then he just flips. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's what he was saying. I think he was saying is that when you're going through things in life and you're in a tough spot and things are already difficult to handle that anything just as, you know, something as trivial as a bad burger after a number of bad things happening can be the straw that breaks the camel's back. It can be one of those situations where it's like, after everything I've gone through and I can't even have a decent burger, (laughs) what's the point? You know, I can't even have the simple thing thing that I want. Do you two remember the term going postal? Oh yeah. Yeah. Do you know where that came from? Oh, I did that postal worker. I think there was actually a series of postal workers that, that went berserk and like killed a bunch of their coworkers. Wasn't that like the original workplace shooting? Apparently so. it was um, in or near to my former um, community college, which one of us might be drinking water out of right now. Uh, Palomar College down in Southern California. Uh, um, coffee, but Escondido is a coffee in there. Yeah. All right. Liquid uh, Escondido. So when I was a young college student um, going to school for criminal justice because I thought I wanted to be a cop. One of my my forensics um, instructor who was about mid 50s, mostly working forensics, but he had known of that incident specifically because he had known people who were personally affected. And the story with that was the man, the postal worker who did that shooting, he had had a 
weekly like get together beer night with friends and the week he shot all those people killed all those people um they had canceled it so he hadn't had his like venting time with his friends was what my teacher had thought he's he he said you know Mm -hmm. that was the theory that that he was already so pushed to so many things that it was like oh i don't have my one night to vent he didn't have his therapy yeah he was at the end of the rope and somebody just burned to the end so we need people in therapy is what we're saying i mean therapy needs to be more affordable and it really sucks when you talk to a therapist too or anybody who does consulting like you talk to a therapist who says i can't i don't take insurance because after billing for it i make you know like 30 bucks an hour and as a therapist that's not worth my time whatever and then you have people who are trying to do, you know, drop-ins for like 25 bucks. But that's not the same as a one-on-one. So, God, it'd be so nice if the government could, like, spend more money on uh, healthcare stuff instead of, like, bombs and shit. <laughs> That'd be I so mean, we're, cool. we're going to need <laughs> universal healthcare for that to happen. Uh, where's that? How's that going to I don't know, man. <laughs> Attention service and sex industry workers. Seeking Space Yoga is dedicated to providing a holistic option for after your shift with new 3 a.m. and 4 a.m. class times. Seeking Space is rooted in empathy, and they've combined creative flows and experienced teachers to provide a safe, inviting space for any and all wishing to find peace on the mat. Need a little motivation? They are offering 10% off on all memberships and packages for those in the industry. Visit SeekingSpaceYoga.com or download the Seeking Space Yoga app for more information and a full list of class times. Passion by Kate is an award-winning resource for women and couples who crave a more intimate, exciting, and fulfilling sex life. Passion by Kate's affirming writing, workshops, and one-on-one counseling help you create a new level of openness and intimacy with your partner without feeling awkward, twisting yourself into a pretzel, or spending hours a day on intimacy-building activities. Learn more and find hashtag freedom and pleasure at Passion by Kate. That's K-A-I-T dot com. Mention this podcast to receive a complimentary 30-minute counseling session when you purchase any Passion by Kate product or service. If you're looking to jazz up a jacket, bag, or just your fine self, our friends at Gimme Flair have everything you could possibly need. Gimme Flair is the largest online retailer of pins and patches that range from the cute and sweet to the snarky and slutty. They are sex positive, queer friendly, and aim to crush mental health stigma, all with fun flair from around the globe. Check out gimmeflare.com to browse items from over 250 plus artists. So let's talk more um, after we go into some listener questions, Vanessa. Let's talk more about uh, you said how the how the boys show up there. Uh, in the meantime. <laughs> All right, Jen, do you want to read this one or do you want to read the booty looking one? I'll read this one. Go Why ahead. Not? All right, first listener question. I'm a 22-year-old hetero male and I find myself seeing that women my age aren't very inclined to approach me at a bar or social settings in general. Women between 28 and 34 are though and they're just seeking something strictly sexual. We'll hook up, but I'm over hookups because I'm craving intimacy that isn't sexual. Mm. It's not that these women aren't in- intimate, intimate, but specifically they are only interested in sexual intimacy where I appreciate the moments after as well. 
I've been correcting my assumptions when they are eager to send me on my way as opposed to sticking around to hang out. That's what hurts me the most personally. Mm. So what I'm getting here is a younger guy who who is who wants a girlfriend or wants mm-hmm. a deeper relationship and that but he's not meeting anyone his own age. He well, is primarily being approached by older women who maybe aren't in the same life space as him and aren't aren't looking to have a relationship with someone that much younger than them. Am I reading that right? I yeah, I mean totally. I I told him because this was to my DMs, and I was like, "Oh, sweetie, I'll address this sooner <laughs> rather than later." <laughs> this is a, and this is an important thing. A lot of yeah. men seem to be struggling with this. Yeah. And so, a lot of women, when you're 22, a lot of women your age are not going to be. I I think women 22 are less likely than women 34 to be confident enough to go to a bar to pick up a dude or to meet a partner, like both of those. So, I met my first husband. Because we got drunk together and then just basically <laughs> fell in love and then woke <laughs> up and were in love for very intensely for a couple of years. And we're still very close. So it's not that you can't meet someone who wants to be in a relationship. But if you're going into a bar, I don't think there's a lot of solo young women that are going into a bar to be in a relationship as well. Right. And I you think a lot to, of women I, go out to bars with their friends because it's safer in mm-hmm, numbers. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, I feel like... I, when I used to go to bars, when I when I was younger, around that age, when I went to bars, it was to hook up with somebody, not to, not to meet the love of my life. Mm-hmm. Mm. You yeah. know, I well, and I I think there's a couple issues at play here. Like, first of all, he's expecting women his age to approach him. Mm. Um, women his age may not have the confidence to approach men, just like you said. Uh, but additionally. Women at that age are looking for a man who's confident in himself enough to approach them. They are hot to trot. They have men falling at their feet, or so the statistics say anyways. Um, I know I had no problem at that age um, whatsoever. And they have the pick of the litter, and so you're going to have to do something to stand out. It's like a job interview. So if you're not even willing to put yourself out there and present yourself in a way that's positive. That, that shows that you're open for business... They're not going to make that assumption and they're going to assume you're not interested because they're expecting interest to be shown in assertion. Well, yeah, everybody wants to fuck you when you're 22 and you're attractive. Yeah. I remember those days. Oh, I know. So, it was amazing. So talk to me about something intelligent and like actually listen to what I say. And if we have mm-hmm. anything in common, then we can build on that. And, and if we'll we stay don't... up all night talking about it and holding hands. What? <laughs> and we'll stay up all night talking about it, holding yeah. hands. I told him that he should consider some hobbies or social groups or clubs, honestly, because that's where you'll meet people maybe your age or Mm -hmm. at least people who have similar interests. Well, that's uh, my other point I was going to approach on as far as the younger demographic. I have a whole whole other subset for the older um, is that I feel like the approach needs to be environmentally relevant. If you are approaching a woman in a bar, she is in a casual atmosphere that's more party like she's there to have a good time or she's there to relieve some tension because she's been going through some shit. Mm. And so she's not looking for Mr. Right. She's looking for Mr. Right now. So you can't be walking into a bar looking for wifey. Yes, it happens. It does happen. I know plenty Mm -hmm. people who have had amazing love stories come out of people that they met on a party night in bars. I mean, there are plenty of movies about it for a reason. It's romantic. It's wonderful. Mm -hmm. But, you know, coupled with the age and everything, 
you're going to have to be a bit more assertive. You know, you don't want to be looking for wifey at a club and you don't want to be looking for your fuck buddy at a library. It, it just doesn't make <laughs> sense. And so you need to be a little bit more environmentally relevant with your approach and expectations. Right. And when we say assertive, we don't mean like assertive in your communication, <sighs> yeah, no. like body language. Um, just be willing to go up and introduce yourself and say, hi, you know, have something to say, a reason to, to say, say hi, you know, I not just you're, you're pretty. Drinking, yeah. I noticed you're drinking, blah, blah, blah. I've never had that. Would you mind if I, you know, bought you another or like had, you know, have a drink with you or something. Mm -hmm. Don't be like, hey, I saw you drove here in that white car. <laughs> Don't say something <laughs> like that, you know. Um yeah, and no cheesy, bad yeah. sexual come on. Yeah, no you one, do not don't. need. Don't you don't need to feed a line. We've heard of all. Yeah, don't you, use a line. Please don't use a line. Just be yourself. There's a reason people are your friends. It's because you have something to offer. So just remember that when you're coming to the table with that. Just you're you're there to meet another person, and if you connect, you connect. But that can only be found out if you introduce yourself. Mm -hmm. And if you don't connect, it's okay because there's seven billion yeah. people in the world. Being rejected isn't the end of the world. It's just another opportunity to say hello to somebody new. And dating fucking sucks and you get rejected oh a lot. And my <laughs> friends that are dating right now, oh my God, and they're doing the thing where they're like, he didn't text me back yet and it's been seven hours and I'm like, oh God, I remember those days. And I think also mm -hmm. I was thinking, and this came to my thought, I think sometimes when people stay in uh, shitty, negative, harmful, you know, et cetera, whatever you want to call it, relationship is because dating was hard too. Yeah, it's the fear of being alone. Yeah, definitely the fear of being alone. I'm so alone. glad that that changes when you get older. Like, I just <laughs> yeah. don't care anymore. I'm so, it's, care so easy. it's so easy for me to walk away at this point. And I'm like, yeah, oh. there's a part of me that cares and that, you know, I yearn for companionship. But I love being single because I don't <laughs> have to give a shit about anybody else. Right. I love not answering to anybody. Yeah. I love doing whatever I want to. I mean, I'm seeing somebody right now, but... <laughs> yeah it just but it's not like i need to see somebody you know i think that when you it's like when you need it when you feel like you need a relationship in your life that's not the power at the, balance it's is not the wrong time for there. a relationship yeah yeah. yeah god listening to you child free bitches and i'm just like well i have to get up every single day because at least one person relies on me oh wait and the dog i have a dog you have a dog my dog is plenty oh, okay. i dog sit yeah. yeah, a lot. Good to know. Yeah. You're very good with Lux. That is very good to know. Yes. Um, speaking of relationships, okay, mm -hmm. so question number two. <laughs> I love this one. It's a good one. This woman who I've known for a very long time has recently come back into my life intimately. <laughs> we kind of got fucked up, and I went to licking the booty, and some fingers were used. This is new to both of us for the most part. And I was just wondering how best to get broken into it. Oh, my God. Please don't say broken in when you're talking about <laughs> It just sounds hurty. <laughs> like a new pair of Doc Martens. Oh, God. Oh. Yeah. I just thought about my little fissures like ripping. It's like, oh. hey, let's just go walking for 10 oh. miles in this new pair of uh, hard leather docks I bought. Yeah. yeah she says. I didn't bring socks today, by the way. <laughs> oh, nice. Uh, he says, because she did like it, but was kind of sore the next day. Please use lubricant. Oh, my God. Yes. And when it's not enough. Yeah. No, 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 no. And there are some wonderful, wonderful lubes out there that are mm -hmm. made just for that stuff, that area, like mm -hmm. especially for women. I will recommend, you know, not product pushing, but pink silicone for women. Mm, you like that one? 
I, I like it. I do. I'm also a big fan of Joe, though. I, yeah. Both are water-based and silicone are, are wonderful. Yeah, I like those as well. Mm-hmm. I like, um, I'll, I'll use ID Millennium for a silicone. That's a good one. I like mm-hmm. the, I think I like the pink one just because I like the, it, it doesn't leave you feeling oily. It leaves you feeling velvety. Mm. Yeah, if you use silicone lube, you're definitely, I mean, some people have sensitivities to it mm-hmm. i was about to ask about that like i do not irritate some people it can but... irritate some people yeah. um if you use coconut oil and it irritates you then silicone may or may not because it's not oil but it's definitely but it has not. the same pore clogging tendencies yeah it could clog your pores so uh you know try a little maybe mm-hmm. um or just use it in your butt area and try not to get it inside your vulva exactly whoever you are or even just like okay let's see cheap lube i'm gonna look up cheap lube mm. right now joe is a great alter uh, one of the things i love about joe is that you can pretty much find it in any adult store in a lovely little traveling vial size yeah. it's good for a few uses yeah even if like if your options are Walmart as much as I don't like to give Walmart mm. money that is many people's only option but yeah you can get lube from Walmart yeah even if it's just KY which isn't great something they, is better than nothing yeah it's still better than saliva for the love of goodness and just don't use oil-based lube on a woman please on a vagina really oh well, you know I talked to <laughs> so coconut oil is an oil oh I'm talking about like the gunmetal lube and all that kind of stuff like yeah you if know. it's forced but if it's marketed oh, no. specifically to to gay cis men then like don't put it inside of a pussy it is not meant for that area yeah no and then also the fact that he says we kind of got fucked up when you become intoxicated you lose sensation over parts of your body sometimes Mm -hmm. so you're more likely to hurt yourself a little more vigorous so i'd say maybe don't go to town really hard Or one first. of the, you know, or you, you can, it's just taking the proper precautions. You want to lubricate and know how to relax. You have to be able to relax your anus for it to be fun mm-hmm. and non harmful. Well, and that's why people drink. Cause they're like, Oh, I'll just relax. You know, you can do <laughs> God. I remember Dan Savage got in a lot of trouble for this, for suggesting that people smoke weed some years ago, but now that weed is much more accepted, you know, if you can smoke weed, then you probably already know this. Are you it's, watching me play yeah. with my shirt, Jen? Am I what? Watching me play with my shirt no, over here. <laughs> No, I was uh, (laughs) thinking about this, this other question, this tip that I got many years ago, but that I'm sure is some sort of bad science that you can, I'm sure you can clear up for me now. I can't wait. Oh, I'm looking forward to this. Uh So I hear that, you know, the stuff that takes the sting out of a sunburn? Aloe vera. Well, no, they've got some that has like lidocaine in it. It's if you get a real bad sunburn. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Someone told me once that this... (laughs) This will like if you, you try numb, butt stuff. You should and not numb that not. area when it's sensitive tissue. You want to be fully aware of the sensations so you know if you're causing damage. Word, she said it all. Okay, well, good to know that. <laughs> exactly. Those are also people will put those on the back of their throat so they can deep throat, which just means they can like try to jam it in and not feel that it's uncomfortable, yeah, which no. is not how you should be deep throating. Yeah, folks, when when you're deep throating, if you're hitting your gag reflex, just swallow again. Oh, interesting. It opens up the throat again. That's it's it's a sword swallower's trick. There are three or four different gag reflexes on the way down to the stomach. And the way that they get around those without harming themselves is they elongate their throat. And then when they hit their gag reflex, they swallow because the contracting of the muscles actually opens up the area because it's accepting food or it's it, your body is designed to accept food and, and drink in that capacity. Mm. And so when you do that, it literally, I'm not kidding. It just, for lack of a better term, it slips right in. Boop, 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 boop. 
That's amazing. And then once you're past the gag <laughs> reflex and that and it closes up around it, just make sure that you've breathed really good beforehand because you're oh. not going to be able to. And then they can go to town with nice little shallow pushes and they won't pull back past your gag reflex. There we go. We should have just go. done a blowjob episode with Vanessa. Hey, <laughs> anytime. Amazing. Maybe Thank we you. can do that next time. How do you know time. the sword swallower trick? Um, I have a couple friends who do it. Okay. Yeah, well, that makes sense. And um, I, I like to watch a lot of things about sideshows and curiosities and fun I, things. So. I like that. I was giving a lap dance last week um, at the club and my client said, oh, I saw you st- stuck a stuck a straw in your septum. Watch mm-hmm. this. And he takes out a nail and then sticks it up as, you know, tilts his mm-hmm. head back. And, and I said, let me guess. You work in a circus. He's like, yeah, I work in a circus. <laughs> All right, awesome. Well, at least in Portland, it's about mm-hmm. a 50-50 shot. Mm, right. <laughs> um, so real quick before we come back, and then we're going to talk more about what you do specifically. Um, mm-hmm. The judge, Judge uh, Aaron Persky, then in the Brock Turner case, he was recalled mm-hmm. in June after two, God. It's about time. Two years, over two years. About two years since he gave the kid the six-month sentence after the rape of mm-hmm. that woman. And her very, very detailed account. I mean... You can't... You literally can't make that shit up. Yeah, no. She says, I had pine needles inside of me. That's you know. awful. Ugh. Yeah. So... That is awful. I know. This whole show is basically a trigger warning. That's like a kick in the balls. <laughs> yeah, really. Um, so that brought up the question as far as... Uh, Jen, it looks like you had some thoughts on when judges should be beholden to public opinion. And we don't have to go too deep into that. But anyway, so celebrate. Yay. Should judges consider the political climate when sentencing? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because Absolutely. We're, we're, always, we're always changing. What's acceptable now is not what was acceptable even and 10, 20, 30 yeah, years ago. We 30 years from now, we'll probably be looking back and thinking how narrow minded we are now. Yeah, but I mean, I I guess I just I just worry though, especially like with the rise of populism that in in this case, right? Like he should have listened, he should have stayed with the times, right? But think well, about, but I worry about the implications of this in in like red states. I think mm, that's true. I think that they I think that the awareness of the political times doesn't mean that it should dictate their decisions. I think it should just be that, you know. There's no denying that his decision was very tone deaf. It, yeah. you know, I mean, it didn't fit. It the didn't, severity didn't. It fit did. You know, even if you were time. just looking at the isolated incident, it didn't fit it at all. Right. But you know, and then you dial into it the court of public opinion and the current things that are going on in our culture and society. You can't. You can't ignore that. You can't ignore it in that realization that you know that you're going to be setting an example you know you have had the judges in the past that have gotten really fanatic and gotten all over tv because of the decisions they're making that they're saying you know i know that people are watching and i know that this is a big decision but that's not dictating how i decide it's just you know being aware well i guess he's got um i guess this guy i've read somewhere has a history of giving really really lenient sentences i was looking at that right now talk about money buying the judge right yeah it was saying that this uh sentencing was consistent with other cases in which he appeared to favor athletes and other relatively privileged individuals Hmm. accused of sex crimes or violence against women do you you know if brock turner was a black kid you know oh my god you know like well and and you know talking about athletes we do know that brock was a very good swimmer Mm. 
very important. <laughs> Something well, because that... they always talk about the swimmer Brock Turner as opposed to, you know, convicted. Well, and, and the judge Turner. himself, when he issued his, you know, judgment, he did bring up the fact that he was a very good swimmer and the impact on his opportunities in the mm-hmm. future mm-hmm. should he get a harsh sentence. Mm-hmm. And as as part of what influenced this decision, I mean, that in and of itself, but, you know, that's not a judge that... Mm-hmm is being unbiased so i i want to circle back before we go to break we were just saying how punitive measures are bullshit and i'm not one of those people that's like oh you should have chopped off his balls i hate that Mm. i hate that so much Um, i'm not saying punish rapists with like necessarily even detention depending on the lightness or severity of the crime but there needs to be some kind of rehabilitation i agree with that yeah yeah. some sort of supervised rehabilitation i think is probably yeah and that's that's one of the things that in the field that you know that we work in it's the nice motto that everybody goes by is that you know everybody's treatable you know Mm -hmm. there's not a single person that is not treatable Mm -hmm. and so yeah it is important to be identifying what the proper treatment is and pursuing that rather than just Mm -hmm. issuing a punishment and moving on well that's Mm -hmm. too because what do you learn to do in jail you're you're stuck in prison helpless with a bunch of other Mm -hmm. angry men who all Mm -hmm. probably feed on you know feed on the anger and injustice of it all and you're not getting any help not to mention that you know the only you know step below rapists in the in the opinion of prisoners are are child rapists is you know Mm -hmm. he's gonna go to prison he's gonna get violated Mm -hmm. and that just reinforces that attitude that he has Mm -hmm. now that it's not going to be an entitlement it's going to be a victimized Right. Mm-hmm. And perception. And it's not going to do him any good. And it's not going to do society any good either. Yeah. Jokes about raping rapists don't really do it for me anymore. No. <laughs> when I was much younger, I thought that was hilarious because I thought life was simple and easy and, and black and white. Eye for an eye, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, Same right. reason I'm against the death penalty. Yeah. I love it when we wake up and we grow some morals and a conscience and realize, wait, that makes me a rapist too. Ooh. Hey friends, do you get sore muscles or stiff joints like us? How's your skin? Is it dry, itchy, irritated, bruised, or sunburned? If so, it sounds like you need some Nabalm in your pocket. Nabalm, that's N-A-E-B-A-L-M, is an all-natural skin and body balm handmade right here in Portland. Nabalm products use a base of organic olive oil and beeswax followed by an infusion of therapeutic essential oils, each of which provides all sorts of benefit. Oh yes, and they smell amazing. To learn more, check out nabom.com or search Nabom on Facebook or Instagram. Do you have sex questions? Do you want help learning new techniques, communicating with a partner, opening a relationship, or exploring kink? Sex and intimacy coach Stella Harris can help. Visit her office in Portland or connect via Skype to take your intimate life to the next level. Learn more and schedule at www.stellaharris.net or follow her on Instagram at Stella Harris Erotica. So we started out talking about some of your work. So how do the boys end up with you? Um, well, that's an interesting question. There are a few different avenues that can lead them into a treatment facility like mine. Um, First of all, it's worth noting that about 90 to 95% of the boys that we take in are either a product of DHS or they're coming out of the Oregon Youth Authority, OYA. 
Um, DHS, we are dealing more with kids who've been in the foster system and have had some issues, whether it's because they're being abused or they're starting to act out because of Home uh, problems. Yeah. Or things that they've past abuse, things they've been exposed to instability and ability to trust adults, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Oregon Youth Authority, we deal with some violent offenders and we definitely have drug addicts or recovering drug addicts as well. Um, but we do at any given time, it's going to be between 50 and 80 percent of our population are um, teenage sex offenders. And what age wow. range are we mm-hmm. talking about here generally? Like how uh, 12 old to 18, 12 to 18. 12 to 18. Yeah, we do the full service. Okay. 12 to 18. Mm-hmm. And you said 80 percent are sex offenders. At a, yeah, at any given time, up to 80% are. That is um, because we are one of the few treatment facilities that does have a specialized sex offender treatment program. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. That makes more sense. I was wondering why it seemed so disproportionately high. Yeah, I mean, we are <laughs> we are one of the places that specializes in that. And so we do take okay. on a lot more cases than a lot of other treatment places are able to do. Okay, so, I mean, what kind of stuff do you deal with? Oh man, <laughs> I know it really, really depends. Uh, there are, you know, a good day, just like being a bouncer, a good day is a boring day. Um, nothing's happening. Nothing's going on. You're just there. You're hanging out. Um, on a, on a standard day, if things are going exactly as they should be and everybody's on schedule and everybody's just having what we call a good day. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the boys get up. We have a, a strict, we have them line up at the top of the hall. We do a hygiene routine. Hygiene routine. Yeah. Like um, so in the mornings we have them get up and they go brush their hair, put on deodorant and their cologne. If they're going to, they get dressed. They have to have their shirts tucked in and they have to be wearing a belt if, they're, if their pants have belt loops. Hmm. Um, but it's just because we are dealing with, kids who have had no structure. And so we go not with a militaristic structure, but with a very, very rigid structure so that they can have that stability in their life. It's consistency and stability um, that it reinforces. And then we have them, you know, like I said, brush their hair, do deodorant and cologne. And then we go and we have breakfast and we do sit down and have breakfast with them. We do four boys per table with a staff member mm-hmm. um, and small groups. Yeah. And everything we do is done on a scorecard. We have a token economy program, which is basically um, you start out with X number of points a day. It differs for the level you are in the program. Hmm. And if there's an issue that comes up, you start to lose points. Mm-hmm. And okay. it's broken up into each individual thing we do. So even breakfast time or meal time is an opportunity to have skills training and learn how to cope with situations. It's it's amazing the things that can trigger these boys. Mm-hmm. Um, something as simple as if a boy is serving and he has been asked to bring seconds of an item and he doesn't want to be serving, he could flip out and start cussing out his peers Mm. and making threats. Mm -hmm. Or he can just sit down and be indignant and then the boys don't get to have seconds on their meal, you know? Mm God, 12 to 18. Yeah, yeah. So we're broken up into cottages that are based on age. And like I said, on a good day, you just run through the program. There's going to be a couple different group counseling sessions and skills trainings and... Um, then they get to play video games and 
and basketball and all the fun stuff that Did teenage they go boys to do. Yeah, they go to school on campus. Um, we do have teachers that come in. Oh, wow. Um, a lot of these boys do have intellectual or developmental delays or disabilities. And so their class times are 30 minutes mm. because their mm-hmm. attention span usually doesn't last beyond that. And honestly, a lot of them, um, their skill sets are at a level that is below their age. Right. Um, you know, they definitely are cognitively functioning and, and, and very intelligent and capable in their own ways. But, um, if you want to look at it on an academic level, they've been, um, underserved by their parents or anybody. They've been underserved by parents and a lot of other people in their lives. Right. When you say like skills training, what Mm -hmm. sort of skills, what Um, sort of skills are they learning? Things as simple as how to support your friend in a difficult situation in a way that's positive. Um, instead of flipping out and threatening violence and getting defensive and getting yourself and everybody else in trouble, learning how to approach it in a way that's, you know, productive and therapeutic. Mm-hmm. I love that so much. Um, and a lot, and, and then on a bad day, it's, you know, it can be anything that triggers them. We have, um, when I come into work and it's the eve before a holiday, mm-hmm. If it's been a good night, I'm surprised. Right. Well, holidays um, are really hard times for people because they miss their families or they yeah. hate their families. And it's a reminder that they're stuck. Yeah. And they can't go and do what they want to do. Yeah. Yeah. God. How many women work at the facility? Um, that is a great question. I am one of two women who work on the night staff on a regular basis. I do work overtime a lot just because I really enjoy interacting with the boys and working with them um, when they're more awake at night (laughs) yeah yeah it's a residential facility so it's 24 7 and these boys have crises in the middle of the night sometimes especially now that we're gearing up for summer because they get restless um and they are in summer school so it's not like they get to be going out and gallivanting around like their their peers are and they do keep in touch with their peers so they hear about their friends having fun and that can be hard for them too so and that sucks because i wish it was it's one of those things where you wish you could have a show up like report and do these things and then go back to your families but obviously they can't because their home lives are not stable so that's why you're housing them right they um depending on where they're going after treatment some of them are going to further treatment mm-hmm. um or to a foster family um but those that are going back home or have good relationships with any family members for that matter it doesn't even have to be their parents it could be grandparents that just mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry, I use the word parents, I should say guardians. Well, no, it's it's not even their guardians. It's like, you know, you could have a kid whose guardianship is to their biological parents, but for whatever reason, their parents couldn't care for them um, or needed to get the support for themselves that they needed. So their kid wound up in treatment too, Mm -hmm. um, but have wonderful relationships with their grandparents, but for whatever reason, their grandparents couldn't take them in. Mm -hmm. So we, the boys do have the opportunity to earn themselves up to a trust level, which is part of the token economy system, um, where they can go on home visits, overnight home visits. Um, Hmm. and it's part of, uh, it's something that we heavily support and we highly encourage because not only is it good for the boys, but it also helps them learn how to reintegrate back into the community, which is ultimately the end goal, because these boys are going to age out of the system eventually, and the the funds and the support is not necessarily going to be there forever. Yeah, I had that was my question. I couldn't remember. So I was thinking, 
um, because anxiety around sexual function and sexual mm-hmm. interaction with their peers, themselves, you know, girls, boys, whatever, yeah. with adults has got to be such. I'm thinking, how would you even be able to teach sex ed to kids that are 12 to 18 and have so many maybe learning disabilities or other things, you know, anxieties going on? You teach it the same way you teach anybody else. Really? Yep. So you guys have a program? Um, it's taught in school. Uh, the last group home I worked at, I was the I was the counselor in in, in charge of the talk. That's um, amazing. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> um, the best the best advice I can give is the, the same advice I give to parents. I've had so many parents of teenagers. I don't have kids yet. Um, someday. But not yet. But I have friends who have teenagers that come to me and they're like, how do I talk to my kid about this? Mm-hmm. And they've offered to pay me to come do it for them. Good. Um, <laughs> but the best advice I can give, and it's the same same thing that we do, is just use real terminology, use direct language. Mm-hmm. Don't pussyfoot around it. Don't candy coat it. Don't use. I like to use the word pussyfoot. Right. Too. <laughs> <laughs> kind Not of appropriate. <laughs> um, anyway. I'll yeah. Stop. So yeah, Love use it. direct language, label the parts properly. Yeah. A penis is a penis. A vulva is a vulva. A vagina is a vagina. A clitoris is a clitoris. Mm-hmm. An anus is an anus. So on and so forth. Sex is sex or intercourse. Um, mm-hmm. I really, really, really love calling it sexual intercourse because um, anybody else here squirm when adults use that word when you were younger? Yeah. Yeah, I hate it. It was such a, like, it, it oh, was... I never discussed this with adults. Well, I mean, if you ever no. referred to sexual Like an adult's like, way. oh, you know, did a sexual intercourse and you're just like, Ooh. why yeah. did you say that? It's like when you walk up to somebody and you get up in the ear and you go, moist. <laughs> you know, it's one of those, it's, it's that visceral reaction of, Oh God, why that word? Why did you have to say that? So I like to say things like sexual intercourse and masturbation and things like that, that are very embarrassing to them. Mm-hmm. Partly because I get a little bit of joy out of it. Um, because it is fun to joke <laughs> around and, and, and give these boys a little bit of shit, but also because I know that in doing so I'm doing it properly. I'm, I'm not doing anything that's Mm-hmm. misguiding them in any way of what to expect. And, you know, I'm putting it in brass tacks. So this is exactly what it is. These are the facts, mm-hmm. but also because if you're using terminology that makes them uncomfortable, they're not going to glorify it as much later. Mm. And it's not going to be something that then becomes a, Oh, you know, cause I stepped in and took over when um, we had to have a talk with the boys at a group home I worked at because the boys were masturbating in their bedrooms. And that was a big no, no, because oh. we had to be able to do bed checks every 10 minutes. Oh, that sucks. Right. But these are teenage boys. Yeah, I mean, their hormones are rampant. They're going yeah. to masturbate. They're going they to, masturbate. you know, the compulsion is there and it's a natural compulsion. Yeah. And they shouldn't be shamed away from doing it, no matter what their background is. They should be, I mean, but there's a time and a place, you know, and the place, when do they get to do it? Well, um, at the current facility I have, we have very strict rules. It needs to be at bedtime. You need to be in bed with your lights off and you need to be covered. Okay. That's fair. And the reason why is we've had issues with boys standing there looking up their windows when female staff are in the hallway. Mm. Okay. Um, things like that. And so it teaches them healthy boundaries and that, yes, you can fantasize, you can, you can pleasure yourself. It is natural. It is healthy. It's something that we don't necessarily encourage you to do, but we don't. Well, you can't. It's such yeah. a tricky boundary yeah. with encouraging children. But it's it's something anything. that we provide you parameters in which it is acceptable and okay because mm-hmm. it's a natural thing to happen. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah. Well, and it also calms them down and probably helps them function. Oh, yeah. yeah. And how much information are you given on their, you know, like criminal histories? We get a full background. We get a full background. And um, the boys, when they come into our facility, they do a uh, full disclosure uh, light. What's polygraph test. Mm, Um, We don't get the full details of what's asked and what they disclose, but we do get a summary and we do get a full summary of why they're there, the background, what treatment they've had, what they haven't, any abuse that they've been subjected to. Um, any acting out they've done okay. like, literally it's it's a checklist like violent acting out sexual acting out fire starting tendencies mm. that kind of stuff just so that we know what we're getting into mm-hmm. well I asked I asked that because I'm curious that especially maybe uh, ones who have committed sexual crimes mm-hmm. how much these kids actually even know about sex a lot like, of them know a lot uh, because uh, most of these boys have been subjected to um or ex- subjected to either sexual abuse or exposed to um adult situations and sex from a very very young age we're talking like two three years old okay. sometimes mm-hmm. um so while the cognitive thought processes aren't advanced um, like they would be if they were past their developmental years into adulthood or even their late teen years and have a more sophisticated understanding of sex and the things that are involved with that. Mm -hmm. They do have a better concept of what it is and what it means than any other boys their age. Okay. Mm. Yeah. That's a good question. Oh man. Well shit. Thanks for your work. I wish you got paid more. (laughs) You know, I do too, but it's one of those things I tell the boys, you know what? And, and this is, it's the thing I, I first when I first did this and I was young and stupid, I would say when they were getting pissed off and be like, well, I'm not going to go anywhere. So you're stuck here and you're going to be stuck here late. I'm like, that's fine. I'm getting paid. I don't care because <sighs> I thought it was just kind of the way to brush it off. And I realized that that's not what you want to do. And no. so what I tell them now is this look. We don't get paid enough not to be here unless we want to be. So if you want to make us stay here late, that's fine because I'm here until you don't need me to be here. I'm here until you don't need me to be here is a good one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. I think um, I think your work is awesome. I think a lot of people, um, I hear this a lot as a defense investigator. People say, how could you choose to defend people that have been, at least on my end, accused of doing such awful things? I, do people ever ask you that? Like, why do you want to work with, with I- sex offenders? Like, I haven't been asked why I've gotten a lot of shock and like the, Oh, what, what the fuck looks. (laughs) Um, but I'm very quick to, you know, point out that these boys have been through a lot. Uh, not all of them have, um, but more than nine out of 10 have statistically. Um, and that it's about understanding why it happened and treating the why and not the what. Because we do believe that, especially at their age, that there is still the opportunity and the possibility to show them that there are more healthy ways to express their Mm -hmm. difficult feelings. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's talk about let's talk about the CVS worker (laughs) who told that man's wife accidentally about his Viagra prescription. Let's end on a light note. Okay, how's that? (laughs) How about that? Let's take a deep breath. (sighs) Well, which which way do you want to take this? So in Long Island, New York, uh, 
a man alleged in a lawsuit that a CVS pharmacy worker told his wife about his prescription for erectile dysfunction medication and it ruined his marriage. (laughs) (laughs) I, you know... HIPAA violation. (laughs) I worked as a clerk in a pharmacy when I was much younger and they're fucking chaotic. Mm -hmm. Pharmacies are so sadly chaotic and with the billing and the stuff that has to be in the freezer and the mix and... And oftentimes people go to pick up other people's prescriptions, especially spouses. All the time. And the rules are different depending on, I think, where you go. But all the time, people pick up for other people. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say that while I really feel unfortunate for the shame (laughs) that this man obviously felt because he kept it secret in the first place. Yeah. But also, if it, quote, ruined his marriage, like his marriage had a lot of problems. Because (laughs) if he had to keep it, if he felt he couldn't be honest with his partner about his body, I understand wanting to have your own privacy. But like... I don't know. If I'm going to marry someone, I'm going to be like, hey, my pussy's not getting wet. Can we like get some lube for this or a pill for my dick or whatever? I feel like there's probably a lot more to this story yeah. than we're being told if a marriage, by the article. If a marriage ended over that, there had to be something else involved. Like maybe it wasn't for his wife. That was my theory. That was my theory because at first. I'm like, I bet he was having an affair. Yeah. And she was like, you haven't fucked me in years. Right, because you have this Viagra. Right, but because in reality, if it's a shame thing, it's just a matter, you know, you would think that she'd be like, oh, honey, you know. It's, no it's, way. But some women are so shamey about that, too. Oh, I know. Especially when men are judged. But to ruin a costs. marriage over Viagra, I mean, couldn't she just ask him not to take it? There's got to be more to the story than oh, than meets the eye. Oh, there's so many chains. There, there had to be a side chick or maybe a balloon popping fetish that she did not know about. <laughs> I would love to interact with someone with a balloon popping fetish. Oh, that would be so much fun. You should have a fetish show and have like ones that are audible on like spanking and balloon popping. popping. Well, I would love that. Could we get the smushing lady on here? You got to do the smushing. smushing. I love the smushing. I I don't understand the fetish, but I'm fascinated by it, and I love watching it. Can we clarify what smushing is? Because well, like I, squishing anything, like yeah, food no, most most okay. most notoriously, um, it's associated with women sitting on baked goods like cakes, cake farts, what? cake farts. Yeah, the yeah. cake farts lady. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. But then, it can be anything. It's smushing anything that's gloopy and gloppy and smushable mm-hmm. on some part of your body. Mm-hmm. Ooh. To clarify, not that's not the one. Now, with I'm, the animals, now I'm just right, imagining like rubbing squish. ice cream between my tits. <sighs> it is hot like, here. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! I just found xvideos.com. Holy shit! I typed in um, squishing. I was like, "What are we? What were we just talking about?" I love. Re- Can you read some of these comments? I am going to squish those little balls. This is a femdom video. Yes. <laughs> uh, I want that written on my headstone. Uh, I want to squish this. I'm going to squish this little balls. Uh, what else? Something new to shout at people in traffic, at least. So. I want to squish these little balls. Uh, little balls are cool. Big balls can be cool, too. But I feel like it would be more uncomfortable because you'd have to like... Just as long as they're clean, I really don't care. Jiggle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, exactly. Oh, I'm talking about as a person who would have testicles. I'm saying if I had small ones... Oh, I would love it if I had a pair of balls. I would love it if I had a dick. I have total penis envy. I used to... When I, I was Not a me. Little... I don't know where I'd put it. I'm, I am a cis hetero woman who has massive <laughs> penis envy. <laughs> Freud was right about a few things. Oh, yeah, he was. <laughs> oh, that's funny. 
Are you doing slut walk this year? Yes, I am. If you want. Okay. Absolutely. No I was actually going to talk to you about that. Um, <laughs> I was like, I guess I'll ask you right now. Yeah, I'm going to, well, it's, it's officially on record. So if you want to include that in the edit, then I guess I have to. <laughs> no, no pressure. Um, yeah, um, we will be doing, but no, that's, I'm glad that you're on board also. Um, especially as someone who has so much experience dealing with erratic men. Yeah. And just erratic humans in general, mm -hmm. women can be just as crazy. Yeah. But we don't have as many, like as much societal, like reinforcement to make us act violent. And also we tend yeah. to be smaller. So, well, and, and to quote a dear friend of uh, mine who is, um, trans female. Mm -hmm. Um, she actually was telling me this the other day. She said, you know, not to make it about male and female biology, but I really believe this is, this is her speaking, not me. Um, sure. she said, I really believe that I have the solution to a lot of the problems in the world. Everybody needs to get off of testosterone because uh -huh. she said that her reactions to aggravating situations was to be violent when she was, you know, full blown male testosterone. But then she said that once she started going through HRT and, um, you know, further down her processes of transitioning, she said that that urge has completely gone away and the urge to communicate is higher. That's hmm. so interesting. Yeah. And I've heard that from many um, people transitioning both from male to female and female to male about the differences in psychology and how your body just naturally wants to react to a situation. Hmm. I'm in, I'm looking up. I'm actually unsure. I think that people use. Do people use testosterone for? Ooh, studies suggest testosterone may help ease menopausal symptoms. It does, and it actually helps boost a woman's libido when it's waning. Mm, yeah, I think this is a thing I've said before that I feel like, as far as, and again, I when I was a little kid, I figured out that I wanted to be a boy because I looked around and I think I liked the activities that boys were more allowed to mm -hmm. do, and I also wanted my dad's approval, so I had a nickname that was like a variation of my name and his name, and I wore his shirts and all that stuff. Because women, I mean, women weren't president. Women had to wear dresses and they couldn't yeah. burp and all that shit. So prim and proper. I know. So, I don't know. Gender's ridiculous. Um, okay, well, thank you very much for coming on, Vanessa. Yeah. Um, can I, I just wanted to throw in a final thought. Sure, please. Um, one of the things that kind of comes up a lot in conversations um, like we had today, um, or even just interpersonal, um, revolve around mental health issues. And there is this undeniability that the mental health care that we have is lacking and severely. So, absolutely. um, and even in areas where it isn't lacking the stigma behind it or the fear of reaching out and because of it, simply acknowledging that something's wrong or something's different can get in the way. Um, there are a few things people can do if they're having a hard time navigating, uh, mental health care that can help them be a bit more successful and, situations, whether it's feeling depressed or whether it's feeling volatile or, ag you know, aggressive in any way or aggravated mm -hmm. is that I feel like people um, need to start focusing more on learning to identify their safety plan. And that is know who to go to, know who to talk to, always have a person to bounce your ideas off. You mean when of. you become like angry or frustrated, triggered, like something's upsetting. When you're or... in a heightened situation whatsoever where a coping skill might be necessary or you're acting in a more impulsive way. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, you even talk about people who have bipolarity is becoming more and more prevalent. And so there's that manic aspect of it too. And people mm -hmm. need help in those and support in those times too. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of impulse control issues. And so 
just everybody in general should have a safety plan and somebody that they trust that they can bounce an idea off of when it's a more impulsive thing. Mm -hmm. Um, whether that's a violent reaction to a situation or getting, getting ready to flip out on somebody, but processing first Mm -hmm. or, feeling a little bit hypermanic and everything's wonderful and right in the world. And I'm going to make this big decision, but I should probably check in with somebody first. For me, it's my mom. I communicate well with her and I trust her opinion. Um, but I think that if people had that in place, it would go a long way. And I feel like we would run into a lot less issues, like even school shootings and things like that, that Mm -hmm. if people had a safety plan that they trusted and they were comfortable using, Mm -hmm. um, we wouldn't need all the mental health care, Mm -hmm advocacy that we have right Right. now because it's something that would be more normalized and something that people felt more comfortable addressing do you have a person jen me yeah sadly no okay (laughs) i don't i can try to be your person i already have i'm juggling some people also in supporting them and they support me too Mm -hmm. i have a i have our editor john well, mine He's used, watched me flip out many Mine times. used to be my dad, but my dad died. And after my dad Ugh. died, I don't know. I've gotten really good, though, at, about realizing, like, my when things are getting weird. Like, I know what normal looks like for me, and I, mm. I kind of recognize when things are getting a little wacky there. And I try to keep an eye on it. And, in the, you know, and when mm. I've gotten real depressed or real out of control, I have really bad anxiety. I've been lucky enough, I guess, also, too, you know, I'm 40. I've lived with myself for a really long time. I'm not a young person who's new to this and, and struggling. So you have so, coping skills so already. So I I've learned coping skills and I've and I've I've learned to kind of monitor myself and to get help like when I'm like okay. Well, and it, you so, know, do you talk to your dad? Well, my dad died. So. I know, but do you still <laughs> not anymore? Do you like mentally have a conversation with him from some time to time, whether or not you? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Sometimes I try, honestly, though, I try not to because I just feel I'm worried I'll dwell on it. But okay. yeah, he sits right on my dresser. Well, and that's the reason I ask all, is all the big things with me is know? because well, Aww. because people's people's person or people don't have to be living. It could just be somebody that you trust, because if it's somebody you trust, you generally kind of know what they're going to say already. Right. And so having that mental dialogue with them when you got something on your plate, sometimes that's enough, you know. Well, also, I know it sounds silly, but I do have a dog and not and it's like I have to be at least I'm not alone and I have to be accountable. I mean, for me, I know it's some people mm-hmm. get ill and they can't handle the responsibility of a pet. But mm-hmm. for me, it's been really good. I it's made me have to be responsible you see the opportunity to fake it till you make it i can't imagine pulling myself out of bed and feeding myself i have to get up and take my dog out yes like she depends on me to to do things and Mm -hmm. that's been very therapeutic for me Mm -hmm. to have something to be accountable to Mm -hmm. there you go i don't remember what it was but something that vanessa just said made me cry (laughs) (laughs) before that i have a dog oh Oh, i think it's about like your person doesn't have to be somebody who's alive it's just (laughs) Oh. <laughs> no, it's good. Oh, that was good. All right, everyone. I'm going to go wipe my face. <laughs> In a good way. Yes. Thank you so much, Vanessa, for all your work. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you. For more Strange Bedfellows, check us out on patreon.com forward slash strange bedfellows and become a supporter for access to behind the scenes material and extra content. My name is Elle Stanger, and you can find me at stripperwriter.com and on Instagram at stripperwriter. And my name is Jen. You can reach me on strangebedfellowspdx.com. <laughs>